Well, welcome to part three of our series, One Christmas. And in this series, we're simply looking at that first Christmas and seeing how one Christmas can be an event that changes everything for a person's life. Um, so we've already looked through a few people. We've looked through um, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were praying to God, but it seemed like their prayers weren't, be, weren't being answered. Uh, last week, we, we had this amazing look into Mary's life when God interacted with her and changed her script for her life, and uh, she just had to respond to it. And this week, for part three of the series, we're going to look at kind of that same section, but we're going to look at it from the perspective of Mary's husband, Joseph. And here's kind of like the interesting thing right away. So last week, if you were here, you saw how Mary's life plan, her script, you know, she had maybe her wedding figured out in her mind. All of that was immediately rewritten when God came to her through the angel Gabriel and said, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And all of a sudden, her script changed. She had no choice about it. But today, as we look at Joseph, we're going to see that while his story changed, his script changed, he had a choice about it. And we're going to see how God guides his choice in just a little bit. One of the big things we're going to see from him is that Joseph had trouble making a decision. So I thought to get some participation here right away, I want you to raise your hand if you would qualify yourself or, or classify yourself as an indecisive person. Raise your hand if you are indecisive. You see, if you had to pause to decide whether or not you're indecisive, <laughs> what I notice is that some people put their hands up right away, and I'm like, you're not indecisive. You got this. And then some other people, yeah, th those were the indecisive people, right? And, and I'm kind of in the indecisive camp, too. I don't really like making decisions. Um, in fact, one way I've heard this put is clutter is the accumulation of delayed decisions, is that right? Like clutter is the accumulation of delayed decisions. I like to have clutter. I know where everything is, but I, I don't like to make decisions. And some of you are like that too also. And I was thinking about this. Like, well, what is it about decisions that makes it so difficult sometimes? And I kind of came to, to this point here. I think it's number one on our sheet. What's difficult about decisions is that what you decide on, you have to live with. And some of you are literally in that place right now where you decided to say yes, and now you're living with him. <laughs> right? Every decision has a consequence. It has a result. And maybe to beef this up a little bit, whatever you decide on, you are responsible for. It's so easy if I just have a financial advisor who just makes some bad decisions. You know, I could fire him and make things better. But if I make those decisions, that makes me responsible. Whatever area of life it is, the, the thing that can be difficult about making decisions is that what you decide on, you will have to be responsible for, and ultimately, you will have to live with. Now, quick example of this. So this last week, my father-in-law, wonderful man, he took Amy and me and the kids out to, out to a restaurant for supper on Thursday night. More information than you need, but what, what you do need to know is that we went to this place and... I always hesitate to tell people where I go out to eat because you're going to see that either as a paid endorsement or you're going to say, oh, he doesn't like that place. Now he's trying to take him down. So, so this was a place I like to go, but just because it is what it is, I don't want to share the name. I'll just tell you, it was a steakhouse that we went to. And it was a steakhouse in Farmington that we went to. <laughs> 
So we went to the steakhouse. Amy and the others, they drove the van. I came from a different place, so I got there a little bit after they did. Now, if you've been to this establishment, which maybe you know what it is, you know that this is a no-frills place. Like, they don't have a complex menu at all. But it's not every day that the Ewart family goes out for steaks, right? So when I show up, they're already there. They're ready to order. I get there. I'm looking at the menu. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't mess this up. Have you felt that way? You get into a restaurant, maybe you don't go there too often, and you're looking at the menu, and you're like, oh, it's torture for you. It's like the pit of misery. Dilly dilly. (laughs) Had to work that in. And and that moment of decision where you're just almost paralyzed because whatever you decide on, you have to live with. Or in this case, whatever you decide on, you have to eat, Right? And so much, to, it was amazing the way it worked out, you know. So my father-in-law ordered, then Amy ordered, and so then I came up, and what did I tell him? I'll have what they're having, right? I'll take it, I'll take it, whatever, whatever they had. And he's like, how do you want that cooked? <laughs> I'm okay, I'm okay. It was medium, I just medium, it's middle of the road, medium. So decisions, decisiveness, What makes it hard? Now, here's what I know. Here's what I wish. I wish that ordering at a restaurant was the most difficult decision you would ever have to make. And I wish it was the most difficult decision I would ever have to make. But I know that among you and even among my family, there are decisions that are much more difficult and decisions that you have to live with a lot, lot longer. Decisions like, well, what school should I go to and what should my major be? Because especially when you're that age, when you're younger, you're thinking, well, this is going to change my entire life. What I have to decide on, well, I have to live with it. And some of you, you're thinking, well, okay, dating. What kind of a person should I be looking for? Okay, we went on one date. Should I agree to a second one? And you're going through this big, long list in your mind. If I make this decision, I'm going to have to live with it at least for a while. And then some of you said yes, or you're in that place where you're thinking about saying yes or asking her to say yes. And you're thinking, okay, is this the right decision? Because you're going to have to live with it, (laughs) her, him, for, for, for as, as long as you live together, right? And some of you are in a place where employment-wise, you're wondering, well, should I take this different position? Should I stay where I'm at? Should I make myself available for other employment? Because whatever you decide on, you're going to have to live with. When to retire? Early? Late? Which treatment to choose? Which type of chemo to go with? Or do you even go with chemo at all? These, these are decisions that some of us wrestle with, and these are decisions that we ultimately have to live with. So here's my question for you today, and here's my hope for you. What if making a decision wasn't just a matter of what you had to live with? What if the way you made decisions, you fell in love with it instead? So that decisions aren't just something you live with, but decisions are something that you fall in love with. And as we look at Joseph's life today, we're going to see that the, the situation he faced was as difficult as anything that any of us will have to. And even in his moment where he wasn't sure how to go forward, we see God intervene to help him make a decision that he would fall in love with. So we're, if, if you feel like you're in that place right now where you don't know what to do, you don't know, you know where you want to end up, but you don't know what decisions will get you there, you are going to relate perfectly with Joseph, who was engaged to be married, 
to a woman named Mary. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is after Matthew, the the biographer of, of Jesus, after he gives this lengthy genealogy of Jesus, which is a different series for a different day. This is what Matthew says. He said, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And, and you might pause and ask, well, why doesn't it just say they were engaged? Because that's how we talk about being pledged to be married today, right? Well, we kind of talked about this last week, but this is important, so we'll kind of revisit it again. Back then, if you were pledged to be married, it meant that you had already, in a sense, gone to church. You had already, in a sense, made your vows, already, in a sense, put the ring on your finger. But in their culture, they wouldn't have the honeymoon and they wouldn't live together right away. But they would rather take some time apart before they formally, publicly came together as husband and wife. Now, why they did that? Maybe they just liked to suffer a lot. I don't know. Maybe they wanted to take their time. Practically speaking, it helped them get their households in order so that the husband could prepare a place for his wife. So it was in this time of transition. They had made their promises, made their vows. They're separated, and they haven't come together yet formally as husband and wife. When I love how it's phrased here, Mary was found to be pregnant. What do you mean she was found to be pregnant? I mean she was found to be pregnant, right? These These are things that you can't hide. It was discovered that she was pregnant. And what we saw last week, this is kind of where Matthew just assumes you know. Um, This was done by the Holy Spirit. And again, Ben talked about that last week, so we won't revisit it. But that was from Mary's perspective. She was visited by Gabriel, the angel, and she was told how this would work. But today, what Matthew focuses on is the other side of the picture. What does Joseph do with this news? Here's how it continues. Joseph There's two things about him. Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. I want to pause there because faithful to the law, you might think, okay, he keeps the speed limits or he obeys the rules. He doesn't litter. It's not a government law thing. This is the law of God thing. Joseph recognized that he had some options here when he discovered that his wife was pregnant, but he was not the father. Back in the book of Leviticus, back in the laws of Moses, which God gave through Moses, it was very clear that the possible penalty for this, a woman becoming pregnant by another man other than her husband, the penalty was death. Now in in Joseph's day, because the Romans were in control, the, the Jews didn't really have the death penalty. And so what would normally happen in circumstances like this is the woman wouldn't necessarily be killed, but she would basically become dead to her own people. You don't belong here. You have a label on you now. Get away from us. And it would ruin her life. See, Joseph was faithful to the law. He knew his options. But he decided in this moment that turning to the law might not be the best choice because of the second thing. You see, while he loved the law, he also did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. And you might ask, well, why why not? Well, maybe he was just a swell guy. Maybe he just had a heart for her. Maybe part of that story about Gabriel coming down and the light in her eyes as she told him, maybe part of that struck him. But what what we could all say about this is that people would look at Joseph and and look at what he did, and, and they would not judge him 
for whatever choice he would do. He, they would not judge him for, for making a public mockery out of her. But because Joseph was not just faithful to the law, because he was also did not want to expose her to public disgrace, this is what he chose to do. He had in mind to, dis, to divorce her quietly. So he, he had kind of this goal in mind. Okay, what I want to do is I, we need to be divorced, but I don't want to humiliate her in the process. And he's basically looking down the line and saying, that's where I want to end up. We're divorced, but she's still okay. The issue was, well, how do you get there? Because you can have a shotgun wedding, but you can't get a shotgun divorce, right? There's, there was no channel for a quiet divorce. Like people hear about it. Family hears about it. Word spreads. And now there's a, a child to take into consideration in this story as well. So Joseph had in mind, because he wanted to benefit Mary, because he was out for her good, he decided not to get this big public divorce, but rather to try to separate quietly. Now I want to make a quick observation about you because before I praise Joseph too much for this, we just need to acknowledge what is going on here. And here's what we all know. Number two, good decisions result in the absence of regret. And we learn this from preschool and it's hammered into us in high school and college. Good decisions mean that five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line, you can look back at that decision and have zero regrets. And isn't that what we all aim for? at least, right? I just want to be in a place where I have no regrets. And a good decision will leave you with no regrets. And I want to tell you that Joseph's decision to get a quiet divorce was in that that sense, it was a good decision. Because five years down the line, he could go to the local tavern in Bethlehem or wherever he was. And, you know, he sees a single lady come up and she says, how are you doing? And they get to know each other. And she says, weren't you married or engaged? He says, yeah. But she got pregnant, and instead of, you know, drawing the, the society against her, I just decided to break things off quietly. You know, she's doing well. She's with family. And this, this single woman, what would she say? Oh, you're such a darling. You could have ruined her life for ruining yours, but you didn't. See, Joseph could have no regret choosing this path. But what we're about to see is that sometimes God is not content to just let you make good decisions. Because sometimes there's a better one to make. Here's how it unfolds. So Joseph, he's going through all these things. Well, how do I do this quietly? How does this work? She has a baby. How do we, you know, mitigate all the damage that's going to happen? It says, after he had considered this, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said to him, good job, Joseph, for taking the high road. Way to go for watching out for Mary's benefit. No. After this, he said, Joseph, son of David, I know who you are, son of David. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home. You made your vows. She's pregnant. You haven't come together yet. Don't be afraid. And, and here's, here's a little cue here. You see, sometimes when you make a good decision, it's because we're afraid of regret. And Joseph was very much afraid of the consequences. Not to mention what the public would think about him. There were legal implications. Because your firstborn son is the one who inherits your estate. The firstborn carries your name. And now what does this mean for Joseph? When his firstborn son is not really his son. The angel said, don't be afraid to take her home. 
Because Joseph, guess what? This really isn't about you, your name, your estate. What is in her, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a God thing working in her. What does this mean? What does this mean? So step one, God is like making decisions for him. Joseph, I want you to take her home. Take her home. Step two, um, he goes on. She will give birth to a son. A son, is he going to take the estate? Don't worry about that. A son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And two things, when, when the angel tells him to name his son Jesus, number one, there's the obvious thing that with his name is an identity. This is the one who will save the people from their sins. This is the answer to God's promise in the Garden of Eden. Give him the name Jesus. It fits. It will fit. Believe me. Trust me. It'll fit. And then there's the second thing that's kind of hidden here, but we could illustrate it real easily. Sometimes, you know, we bring people up here to help them illustrate, but I'm not going to do it this time because the illustration would be to have a pregnant woman come up here and then to have someone that's totally unrelated, they're a total stranger, to come up and give a name to her child. Like, oh, that's a nice baby hump you got there. That's definitely an Alexander. Alexander is his name, right? We wouldn't do that. You would not expect someone who didn't give birth to the child and didn't father the child, you would not expect them to name the child. But the angel says to Joseph, look, I don't just want you to be a passive part in this boy's life. It's your job, Joseph, to assign him a name, and the name will be Jesus because he'll save his people from his sins. And from that moment, Joseph knew without a doubt this was his decision. Would he take it? Would he take it? Well, when Joseph woke up, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. It says two things. Number one, he took Mary home as his wife. And number two, when the son was born, he gave him the name Jesus. He said, God, you gave me these decisions. You gave me this, this, this future, this path. Joseph said, I'll take it. I'll take it. And you might wonder to yourself, how can you get to a place in your life where your decisions become so focused? And, and it's not so much that you have to live with your decision, but you get to fall in love with your decision. And here's what it all boiled down to for Joseph and, and for us today as well. And this was beautifully uh, portrayed in Proverbs chapter 3, where it says this. It says, when you've got a fork in the road, when you've got many ways in front of you, simply trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the second line clarifies it. Lean not on your own understanding. Because Joseph could have said, I don't know. I don't believe. How does this work? I don't understand. How do you know it's a boy? We don't have ultrasounds yet. I don't understand this, but he didn't lean on his own understanding. He trusted in God. And here's the thing. When you have a difficult decision, chances are there's not just going to be one right one. You'll have many ways before you. But as you consider them all, in all your ways, submit to him. Say to yourself, you know, God, I have this goal in mind, and I have this desired outcome, and I have some ideas about how to get there, but I'm going to submit them all to you because you see better and you know better, and he will make your paths straight. And sometimes it's just as simple as perspective, realizing that the decision you make probably won't matter in a month or in a year or in a decade, but no matter your decision, God will bless it when you submit your ways to him. We had said before that good decisions result in 
absence of regret. But God does not want you to live in absence. His purpose and wish for you is so much better than just living in absence of something. If a good decision gets you to absence of regret, a godly decision depends on the presence of God to get you through. A godly decision depends on him to make your path straight. And so as you think about the roadblocks, the forks in the road, whatever decision you might be faced with, you see all these different things and you're like, well, I don't even see a good option necessarily, the best one. What if you just submit your ways to God and say, God, I'm just going to choose, I'm just going to choose one of them as I submit it to you and acknowledge that you're God over it all. And we could end it there and say, wow, that's some great insight and, you know, submit your ways to God and, and this, but I think it's still lacking the edge of it. But plus, here's the thing about this message so far. Before we end it, I want to focus on the thing where the spotlight really deserves to be. And it's not on Joseph. This is not a message from Matthew to say, learn from Joseph how to make decisions and how to be godly with how you, you know, choose a path down the road. That was not Matthew's intent at all. This was a little bit different because Matthew, a section that we skipped, verses 22 and 23, he gets to the point of it where he says this, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And here's an interesting word, they, plural, they will call him Emmanuel. Now, I could understand this at face value if it just said, they, she'll give birth to a child and he and she will, uh, he, Joseph, will call him Jesus. But it doesn't say he will call him Jesus. It says they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a little difference there because here's the thing. It, this, this wasn't about Joseph, and this wasn't just about Mary, but this was about the purpose that Jesus came to live here in the first place. That one day people would look back on his life and on his death, and they would come to one conclusion. Surely this man was the Son of God. And for the purposes of God's fulfillment of these promises, you might say, well, what does Joseph have to do? Anyone could have named this boy Jesus. It didn't have to be Joseph. Okay, fair enough. But here's the thing. What's about to happen might be even more critical. You see, before Jesus was born, there was this thing where the crazy ruler over, over the area decided to have this thing called a census, and that meant that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to register but as it turned out, Joseph was engaged to this woman. They were together as husband and wife. And so she had to go along with him on that long, long trip. And boy, was she pregnant. Mm. And when they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for that child to be born so that it was fulfilled what was promised that the Savior would come from Bethlehem. And then a couple years down the line, when King Herod was threatening to destroy all the children, God, God sent an angel to Joseph again and said, Joseph, you need to protect your family. Move to Egypt, and I'll tell you when it's safe. You see, Joseph, though he's so often behind the scenes, and we never hear from him after that, he was one of God's tools to continue to fulfill the promise that he had made to Adam and Eve and the promise he made to you. The Savior came. 
He survived into adulthood. He performed many great things. He died and rose again for you. So back to decisions. All of us know what a good decision is. A good decision prevents you from having regret. A godly decision makes it so that you depend on God to see it through. But the other thing about decisions is so often we might reduce it just to the minimum requirement of what's required to be beneficial for others. You know, Joseph, when he came up with his plan to divorce Mary quietly, he's like, this is for her benefit. I'm doing this so that's beneficial for her. But God said, no, I don't just want it to be beneficial for her. And when God looks at you in these tough decisions, he's like, don't just focus on what's beneficial for other people. That's the minimum standard requirement. That's how you get to good decisions. But if you want to make godly decisions, here's what that looks like. That you're not so interested in what's beneficial for them, but you also include what might be sacrificial of you. Because that's the whole story of Christmas. Jesus did not come to be of benefit to you. If he was just here to be beneficial, he would have had a buffet line and he would have had a hospital and his work would be done, right? Feed people and heal people. And that would have been a great benefit to the people around him. But he didn't just come with the idea to be beneficial His whole purpose was to be sacrificial. To give himself up as a sacrifice for your sins and the sins of the world. That's what Christmas was all about. It's about Jesus submitting to what was sacrificial of him. And I'll tell you what, that led to a lot more than just a beneficial outcome for us. That led to an eternal outcome for you and for me. So Christmas is just a week away here. We're going to continue the one Christmas series into next weekend. But here's what we can tell you so far. This next week might be a little crazy for you. You might be traveling. If you're traveling somewhere else, uh, blessings on your travel. Um, But wherever you are, here's what we know so far from this series. Number one, your prayers might not be answered this Christmas. And things might not go the way you thought they would. Some of you have a script for how you think this Christmas will go, and I'll tell you what, that script is going to be erased or perhaps outright destroyed in some ways. And some of you this Christmas, you're going to have to make some tough decisions, whether it's right away or maybe down the line into the new year. You're going to have some difficult decisions facing you. And I'll tell you what, there's never going to be a perfect Christmas that you get to celebrate as long as you're on this side of heaven. There's never going to be that perfect Christmas But there was that one Christmas. That one where not everything was perfect. (laughs) Almost nothing was perfect that one Christmas. But that one Christmas, everything went according to God's plan. And because of that, every Christmas is worth celebrating. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, What a great, amazing gift that you would see us dead in our sins, offensive to you, and you would respond with love to send your son as the sacrifice to take away our sins and to give us a new purpose and a new life. As as we all individually consider the various decisions that we need to make on a daily basis, some of them big, some of them small, just help us to remember that in all of our ways, we can submit them, submit our ways to you. Because you're a God who cares for it all and loves all. And no matter what consequences we might bring on ourselves, we know that you have achieved for us a heavenly home to which you call each of us. 
Give us all the faith this next week to, to look to Jesus as the answer to everything because he is the gift that brings forgiveness and life and light to all.